such a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, the only criteria that really matters is that uh, we know who we're worshiping and who we're glorifying. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Judges uh, chapter 10, starting in verse 6. I'm from Stonebridge Bible Chapel in Hamilton. And you know, Hamilton and Guelph, we've both kind of suffered from a bad reputation over the years, don't you think? I mean, Hamilton may be a little bit worse. Uh, steel town, a little bit dirty. But you know, Guelph was where you went to go to meet hippies and eat some algae, things like that. So we've both suffered, but now we're both on the same foot because we are both comfortably now Toronto's footstool, right? <laughs> Have I offended anyone? Someone's moved here from Toronto? We're both in the same boat now. Um, I'm so excited for Matt and Drea. We know they're over in Africa and Thando and the family. And it's just good to remind ourselves that adoption is only necessary in a world that is broken, right? It is only necessary in a world that's broken. And it's such a beautiful picture because it it corresponds so closely to what God offers. You come live with me uh, forever. So what a beautiful image that they get to try and live out, not without its difficulties. In their story today, we meet Jephthah. Uh, things are falling apart in Israel. The problems are internal. They're worshiping idols, the Baals, the Ashtaroths, and those internal struggles are gonna have external consequences. God's had enough. He hands them over to judgment. Specifically, this looks like an external problem of the Ammonites from the east. They're going to come, and they're going to terrorize. Now, uh, in response to their repentance, it says they, they get rid of their idols, uh, and they call out to the Lord. They say, have mercy. God sends Jephthah. Now, Jephthah, we quickly find out, is just the local thug. He's a gang leader, which raises all kinds of questions. Now, he's empowered by the leaders of Gilead, northern part of the tribe of Israel, um, and he's empowered by the Spirit, and then he makes these terms that he sets before God. He, he says, you know, God, if you give me victory before I go into battle, I will give to you as a burnt offering whatever comes out the door of my house to greet me on my return. So we're given this sense of God is going to deliver. He's going he's to save his people again. But, oh my goodness, things aren't quite so happy. It's not just two-dimensional. There's some complexity and real serious issues that come out right away. Jephthah returns home after victory to find his daughter. And then the text just merely says he completes his vow. Following this, we find Israel slaughtering each other, bringing the story of God's deliverance of Israel to a tragic close. Now questions immediately come to mind. Why is Jephthah's daughter killed in ritual sacrifice? How is this monster Jephthah in the Bible. How is he one of the judges? How is he one of the deliverers? How is God okay with what happened? Is that an honest reading? Is that what pops out right away? Well, we're going to outline three key ideas for understanding and applying this text. Then we'll look at the scenes of the story, and then we'll go back to those three ideas. So first, the Bible, especially Hebrew narrative, has this very interesting way of framing its material. You see, it shows, but doesn't tell. So it'll show you, and it'll show you lots. Oh my goodness, will it describe events as they happen? But what you and I are waiting for, we're waiting for this evaluative statement, and Jephthah was struck by a lightning bolt, and we're not given it. Now, in a world where, oh my goodness, does preaching come in any form, social media, public institutions, politicians, all these evaluative statements are ready to condemn, cancel, get rid of. The Bible comes at a very different way, almost like Jesus' parables. Let me show you. We're going to leave gaps. And we're going to let you be a careful reader. And we'll see that by the end. Um, where we can find God's heart in this. Second, 
Um, idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping the wrong God. It says at the beginning of this passage, they worship the Asherahs, the Baals. That's quite simple. You just worship the wrong God. That's God. That's idolatry. But the more severe problem in this passage is what? That Jephthah is worshiping the right God, but he's doing it in the wrong way. Idolatry is not just worshiping the wrong thing. It can be worshiping the right thing in the wrong way. And third, what we need to learn not just from this passage, but actually the whole of the Old Testament, is that idolatry puts you on a headlong path towards child sacrifice. That the idol eventually will ask, not just for you, it will ask for your children. And we'll see that this text jumps right off the page and right into our lives and doesn't just seem like some strange, archaic um, thug who, who makes some mistakes. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to be students of your word and we want to come to you on your terms not our own. We see Jephthah setting the terms constantly in this story, and that is the place that we start to go wrong. Lord, we ask for insight to see what you are willing to put up with, who you are even willing to work with, and what great hope that actually offers for ourselves, and also what you're willing to endure, to bear, to carry our sin through your son, Jesus Christ. You take our rebellion against you on yourself, on our behalf. Would we, be, would we then be empowered by your spirit? Would it come on us to live lives that would be pleasing to you? Amen. All right. When I was 10 years old, <clears throat> normal hockey night looked like for me, because my family was so busy, there was so much going on. My dad was in school. My mom worked at evenings. My sisters were always out doing different sports and myself as well. When hockey night came up, I would have to get all of my equipment on and be ready at the door, kind of like an informal bobsled. Go, 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 get in the car, get in the car. Um, now, one night, my uncle had, had promised he was going to take me. My parents were busy. Uh, we're going to go grab a burger after. It was going to be a great time. And so there I am sitting by the window, sitting in, in my hockey equipment. And, uh, you know, you don't notice these things, how maybe they smell a little bit. Ladies, you thought that uh, we didn't notice, but we do. It's just selective smelling, kind of like selective hearing, right? So there I was waiting waiting. He didn't come. Broke his promise. You're thinking, Rich, like, <laughs> the world's falling apart. Please don't tell me a sob story about you as a little 10-year-old didn't get to play hockey and have a burger. But what this is going to be helpful for illustrating is that a careful reader of the situation knows that there's something much more going on. You see, two years earlier to that, my uncle had showed up at my parents' doorstep, and he looked like a skeleton. He looked like the living dead. And this is what a struggle with cocaine will do to you. He ended up moving into my room. He was my roommate for eight months. And so when he didn't show up, it wasn't just I was going to miss hockey. In fact, even as a 10-year-old, I understood, I understood the sense that there was something much more serious going on. It was that I knew that he, he should have known better. He should have wanted better. He should have chosen better. And so I wa sat waiting for him. Well, the same is true for our passage today. If we can bring our hearts right, we, we read in Judges, oh, they turned to idols again. Ah, you know, whoopsies, that happened again. But we need to frame our hearts correctly, and this is what this story does. Do you know how heartbreaking idolatry is? If you've seen someone given over to an idol, gambling, substance abuse, you know what a shell of a human being it will leave, a husk. You know, this is God's perspective, too, when his people choose idols over him. 
The promise was broken in my story, but the problem in this story, in Jephthah's story, is that he kept it. He had no business making that, setting terms with God. This is not a whoopsies. This is a massive failure. And we said that idolatry leads to child sacrifice. Maybe not. Maybe I wasn't uh, my uncle's child, but the consequences always find the most vulnerable, don't they? And that's true in our story. Idolatry has boots on the ground. This is not just you choose to worship something other than God and now we'll see what happens. A woman's life is lost and she's given in ritual sacrifice to God, to Yahweh. Abhorrent. We need to be careful readers because we might just see a kid who didn't get to play hockey, didn't have a burger, but there's much more going on below the surface and the same is true of our text today. A naive reading is unacceptable and we want to be careful. And finally, for you and I, you know what the easy way to learn is? The easy way is to learn from others' mistakes. Do you know why this is here? You know, I never had a problem saying no to substances growing up. Choose the easy way. All right, let's pull up the map as we move quickly through what happens in this passage. The green lines, those are the arrows where the Ammonites are coming from the east. They're attacking as a result of the idolatry and God's judgment. The dotted red lines show Jephthah's movements. He's from the north. He lives in uh, Ramath Gilead. And then he gets sent to Tob. Then he comes back with the solid red lines. He's appointed as the leader by Gilead. And then the Spirit of God comes on him and he attacks. And you see him breaking back into the land of uh, the Ammonites. And then it concludes with that purple line, the half-tribe of Ephraim doesn't like, again, what's happened. They, they feel like their power is being lost, and so they end up having a battle between Israel. All right, scene one, idolatry, Judges 10, 6 to 18. They've broken the promise of faithfulness and loyalty to God for what the idols promise. Daniel Block calls Judges, the book of Judges, the canonization of Israel. They were supposed to go in and supposed to be a light, a city on a hill, and instead they've just devolved into darkness. It's like they're circling the drain. I've heard um, teachers in this series use the, the phrase the spiral, but circling the drain is a little bit more vivid and visceral. When is God finally going to say, all right, let's flush this thing? He said, uh, God says, you know, why don't you just let your idols save you? you, you you're relying on them. Can they do the trick? Can they help you? And for us, what we can consider quite quickly is, is our loyalty to Jesus the top? highest allegiance. You see, idols often require a very little up front, and we'll go back to substance abuse. Um, often you'll get it for free the first time, won't you? I mean, I shouldn't say that, but we all know that from experience. Drug dealers will give it to you for free. Why? Because the first one's so hot, so amazing that they want you back. That's what idols do. They offer you this incredible upfront hit, but then long term, the costs grow and the pleasure diminishes. Do you know that with Jesus Christ, it's the exact opposite? He'll pay all the cost, all the cost, and you just get to be with him. Is your allegiance to Jesus, does he get to set the terms in your life? I hope, I hope this uh, text is helpful for saying, yeah, he, he comes first. Because those idols, they can't save. I can't call out to them. They can't deliver. In the next passage, the next scene, we're introduced to Jephthah. Right away, you need to ask, who is this guy? Because there's a problem that needs to be solved. Israel has fallen into idolatry, but they've repented and God's going to deliver them. It says God grew weary of their misery. And so right away we're given a few cues as to who this guy might be. Number one, he's a valiant warrior. It's good to know. And then we're given some indirect information about his father, Gilead. Apparently Gilead just um, had sex with a prostitute. Now, you as a careful reader need to know that, like, there's no throwaway details. Prostitution is almost de definitively linked to 
Baal worship, to Ashtar worship, to trying to enjoy, uh, get involved in the fertility cults, make sure the crops come, the rain comes. And so here's this guy, Gilead, and he's spoken to me. He has a son. Where's Gilead in the next sentence? It says that uh, the brothers that get the legitimate sons chase him out of the, chase Gilead, or sorry, chase Jephthah out of the land. Where's dad? Where's dad? Dad's a deadbeat. And that's going to have an impact. We're going to see that's not the first deadbeat, deadbeat dad in this passage. So he ends up in Tob and he leads a, a, a gang of worthless people, the text says. That's every parent's dream, right? You know, your son's running a gang. Um, again, not an unimportant detail, not a throwaway. He's invited back once they're in trouble. And the illustration that's pretty helpful is, well, you know, say Church on the City, they're hiring. And I hear they're hiring for a, a youth coordinator, right? You know, you bring someone in and you say, like, okay, the, the committee's got this guy, you know, elders, leadership, we want to present it before you. And you just have to know that he or she, she is just so good with the sword. You've got to see what this guy can do. It's incredible. Like, my goodness. And, and the leadership's like, well, does, do they have character? Can, can they teach? Are they good with kids? What about their doctrine, theology? Like, you've got to see him swing the sword. It's a Lord of the Rings sword. It's incredible. It's like vintage. It's an elvish sword. Amazing. And you say, oh my goodness, what is going on? Hired on the spot, right? We want that guy. He's ours. Something is very wrong with Israel. We start at the beginning of this passage with something's wrong, idolatry, and now we're seeing it on the ground. Prostitution, leadership, this is the kind of guy you want? This is the one you're going to put in charge? Now in the book of Judges, the refrain is, in those days there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So anytime a character is introduced, you have to say, is this the guy? Is this the guy? And the biblical author, who won't give you evaluative statements, he won't tell you Jephthah is worthless or nearly worthless. He'll just describe. He leads a gang. He's good with a sword. For us, what can God work with? He can work with Jephthah. What can God work with? Hope that's quite clear, right? Don't need to say much more. You and me. So the Ammonites um, get messengers from Jephthah. And we learn a little bit more about Jephthah from this, right? Because I don't know about you, but could anyone here on the spot give me a verbatim or a very close paraphrase of Deuteronomy 1 to 3? Because that's what comes next. Like, he, he's got this stuff down. And we used that line earlier. He knows better. And that's going to come back to be important, isn't it? If someone can just on the fly drop three chapters of Deuteronomy, man, that kid must have won all those little Awana badges, right? He was just lighting it up. And so he knows better. The same is true for you and I a lot of the times. We know better. And that's not always enough. We also say that this God is the God of history. Um, God makes his stake on the cross, ultimately, but over every inch of time and space. This is not, you and I don't come here to get into some spiritual plane. Oh, there is a spiritual plane, but God is not left behind the physical one either. It's all his, and that claim is his. And the story in Deuteronomy, or the story that he references, is reinforcing to that. We move on to probably the hardest part of the passage. The Spirit comes upon Jephthah, He's a deliverer. And this has happened a number of times so far. 
And this is the guy who's going to get the job done, rescue Israel. But we've seen lots of signs and cues and red flags and massive red flags and huge, gigantic biblical author red flags of things are not all right. The drain is being circled. And so the Spirit comes on Jephthah, and then you have to say, like, what happens next? And what does it mean in relation to God? Because he offers this vow. And I love how the CSB puts it. It says, a burnt offering to whomever. This is a personal. This is not Jephthah has a great dog who can open door handles and he'll get out when, and Jephthah's pretty sure that he's going to just give the dog up. To make a statement like this, well, it actually reflects pagan idolatry. If you go and you study some of the uh, ancient Near East, what you'll find is that they would have these bronze chests and they would heat them up and then they would offer a child in there. And that's the most valuable thing you can offer. It's like Tesla stock. I mean, kids aren't valuable today, but imagine, like, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to twist your arm a little bit. I mean, he's had the spirit come on him, but now he feels like he's really got to, like, raise the stakes, ratchet it up a bit. And you and I, a careful reader, need to be like, I don't know. You and I, the careful reader, need to know with certainty, actually. When you read through Leviticus and you're, you know, January, February, you get through there and you're chronological reading and you're like, okay, I'm getting tired. Any mention of human participants in the sacrificial system? What about Exodus? End of Exodus? Deuteronomy? No. 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 And if you go back further, you know, Genesis 22, story of Abraham and Isaac, you know what that's all about? God has called Abraham out of Babylon, out of these pagan idolatries, which are all about offering the best you can to get the rain, to get the money, to get the fertile soil. And there we have Abraham up on the hill, and he's got to be asking himself, this God is just like all the other ones, isn't he? He's just going to be like all the other ones. And you see, angel from heaven, don't touch the child, the child of promise off the sacrificial table humans Jephthah should know better this is an obscure slightly obscure Deuteronomy 1 to 3 this is foundational should know better and the, the nail in the biblical coffin if we expand it even further is when Jeremiah announces God's words about the drain finally getting flushed you know what he says Thus says the Lord, you sacrificed my children. You put them on the altar. You burnt them. You had no business trying to play the pagan game. Idolatry is worshiping the wrong God, yes, but idolatry is worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And yet he's given victory, defeats the Ammonites, and so you and I are left with the question, what was necessary for that victory? Like, what, was, what sealed the deal? How related is that vow, that spirit, and that victory? Put it another way, did God honor that vow? And I hope you would be the careful reader who's just gone through Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Genesis 22, and say, that had no part, no part at all. Jephthah has tried to set the terms a few times. When he gets appointed as the leader in Gilead, 
He makes them all come before the, the altar in Mitzpah and swear before the Lord. He's all about control. When he's about to face the Ammonites, again, that's control fear. And that's what idols always offer, right? A little bit of control. And he again tries to set the terms. You and I, for us, do you get to set the terms for your relationship with God, brother and sister? Do you come to him and say, okay, yep, I'll let you have the finances, but sexuality, my behavior, my body, no, that's mine, or vice versa? Or does Jesus get to set the terms and pay the terms and live up to them for you? This leaves you and I with very little bargaining power at that table, which is merciful, isn't it? Because we'll be tempted to play these foxhole games. If you get me out of here, God, give you my finger, give you some Tesla stock, give you my children. So Jephthah returns home and his daughter greets him. And Jephthah says, I, I have to keep my vow to the Lord. You know, that's just not true. No more than if you or I made a stupid vow about, God, give me a piece of property in Guelph. How many kids is it going to take? It's getting up there, isn't it? One, two, three. I have five. No more acceptable than something stupid said like that. You know what happens? That, that does happen sometimes. I'm sure I've said some heretical things actually teaching. You know what's required in those instances? Oh, that was just foolish. What a mistake. Let me just humble myself, eat some pie, and say, yeah, no, that's not, that's not our Lord, that's not our God, that's not right. You can't do it. In fact, he actually blames her. <laughs> Piles on. What have you done to me? Like, you're reading this, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. In the last scene, we'll mention quickly, we zoom back out, and Israel is doing the same thing, fighting each other circling the drain, getting lower and lower and lower. So what jumps off the page? Well, you and I need to be careful readers because the Old Testament especially, it shows, it doesn't tell. It shows, it doesn't tell. And you know, leaving that space is actually so good for your and I's discipleship where you actually have to wrestle and say, would God actually honor a vow like this? What do I know about him? where it creates that emotional tension that this actually matters, that this isn't just talking about theological truths and yeah, check, 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 I believe, I affirm, but like idolatry has boots on the ground and there are real life consequences to this. Now the character of Jephthah is really questioned, isn't it? All the way through, he's good with the sword, he sets his own turns, he knows his stuff, he knows his Bible, he worships the right God but in the wrong way. Now, the consequences of idolatry will always head towards child sacrifice. I have to tell you how much I love my uncle. He was my roommate. I would do anything I could for him. You know, as an 18-year-old, I had a chance. I knew he was in trouble. You always have to wait for help. You always have to wait for the call. You can't force people to hit rock bottom. You have to wait. So I got a call. Went down to his house, and I got the call, so I was going. He wouldn't answer the door. I tend to get very paranoid. I tend to want just one more. I said, I'm not leaving you here. So I kicked the door in and said, you're coming with me. Do you know how much Jesus Christ loves you? Oh, he'll wait until you call. And I hope you have. Until you need him. And he will kick down that door of idolatry. 
trust in something else. And that rebellion against God, of sin, that fear, that shame, that guilt, that hiding, and he will bring you home. He will adopt you. But in his house, and I don't mean this building, you have to know that child sacrifice is off the table. And if you think that that just has to do with something ancient, we'll finish with a few applications. Substance abuse is very easy to see how it leads to, to child sacrifice. The money goes where, the time goes where, the care goes where, the neglect goes where. Gambling, same thing. I'll just leave my kids in the car. They'll be fine for a few hours. What about careerism? About 80 hours a week. Who gets put on the altar for that idol? What about pressure on the kids? You know, straight A's, athletics, academics, affluence. Want you to be NHL player, want you to be straight A student, want you to be set up and secure for your whole life. Not a good altar to put your kids on. What about the glowing rectangles that we have, which are designed to touch, to hold, to be comforted? I had a woman come up to me at a church I spoke at last year, tears in her eyes, and said, her husband averaged nine and a half hours a day on these little glowing rectangles. Who gets on the altar when our time is spent like that? If you don't have biological kids or your kids are out, they're off, does that mean you're off the hook? Does Jesus consider his church one family or a bunch of semi-connected little nuclear units? who do stuff together once in a while. You pray for the kids that are right there. Do you know their names? You can know their names. Can you go to a soccer game? You can do that. Can you invest in them, disciple? Can you do Sunday school, youth ministry? The idols, brothers and sisters, will always come for your children. If Jesus kicked down the door and died on the cross to rescue you and bring you into his family, how do you think we're to live in his family? No idols here. We confront them. We address them. And please notice the difference between guilt, shame. Rich just came and said, like, I'm a terrible parent. That's not it at all. If, you've, if he's kicked down the door, if he's grabbed you, and he's brought you to his home, and you now get to live in his family by his way, he sets the terms, right? very different, worlds apart. Jephthah is a tragic figure, but he's not so hard to relate to, I hope. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's learn the easy way. Jesus Christ has set the terms, paid them gladly. He's our Lord and Savior, and he has a way for us to move forward, and that looks like to him taking care of his little ones. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you to, like Israel, repent of where idols have snuck in, distracted us, offered us what we think will fulfill us. We acknowledge that it's often those who are most vulnerable who will pay the costs. God, I pray your spirit in a new way would come upon your people, Church of the City in Guelph, that they would be a people who love their children because they love you and they know how much you love them. It's in your son's name we pray.
Amen. Hello. Thanks, Rich, for ministering to us. We now come to the communion table, uh, which is a fitting end to that message. And actually, Paul said to the church in Corinth when he wrote to them about the Lord's Supper, he gave them this caution. He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That same reminder that we may leave behind idols and yet still be worshiping God wrongly. And so we take a moment to examine our hearts, consider if there's anyone whom we need to confess sin to or offer forgiveness to. So we'll do that for a moment and then we'll take these elements together. writes to that church, that community of believers. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus has set the terms for us, friends, and, and paid the cost. Let's take the bread. And then in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we're overwhelmed that you took everything else off the offering table uh, and offered yourself in our place.